but you can also look at it from the direction of who you'll be when you're 85 or 90 and, and who you don't want to become, right? And at the, end of, at the end of your life, you're going to have regrets. You just get to choose the ones that you have. That, that was the deal I made with myself was that when I'm old, I will never look back and say, I, I didn't try to do the thing that I was passionate about. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining this episode of Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Today I have with me Derek Batman, and this will not be my first interview with Derek. We've been... I think I did one with him for Level Method Podcast a long time ago. We'll talk about that. But uh, Derek is an entrepreneurial leader of Hardbat Athletics and Lucid Branding Solutions. This guy is just awesome. That's that's actually all I'm going to say because he's done so many things and what he does, he does with excellence. Welcome to the show, Derek. Scott, it's so good to be on the other side of the camera here. <laughs> did I interview you for the Level Method Podcast? You did. You did okay. interview me. Yeah. So I remember fun- that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was, um, so you not only interviewed me, you did our onboarding. So you were, you were one of my first connections as part of level method. I may have even sold you. I was wearing a lot of hats at that time. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it, I'll say this. It didn't take much selling. I was pretty sold (laughs) when the time came, but you were an amazing person to kind of lead me into the darkness there because it is, it was a major overhaul getting the coaches and systems put in place. Yeah, for sure. That was, uh, those were some good times. I met a lot of really good people, uh, learned a lot about business. I'd been in business for, for years prior, but learned a lot about business, kind of helping take that from the ground level up with Sean and Nathan, really solid dudes. And I met, golly, I met people, amazing people. And you and I have done multiple things in the years come, you know, since then, you know, I was just on your podcast. We've done some podcasting stuff together. We talked a lot. It's been phenomenal. And now, boom, you're a dad. <laughs> Boom, I'm a dad. Yeah, just like that. It it, it feels like that, right? There, it, there's always this like before and after with certain things, and it couldn't be more true with kids. Oh, man. Yeah, it's AK, BK and AK, before kids and after kids. Now, when I'm when I first met you, you I don't know, were you dating your now wife? Yeah, so I've okay. my wife and I have been together unofficially. We're getting we're touching a decade, but officially yeah. it's probably like eight years. We were that couple that didn't we like it wasn't formalized until long after everyone believed that it already was. Yeah, <laughs> I get you. We were my wife and I did the same thing. Uh, so yeah, it just it frustrated the hell out of my wife for the longest time because she's like, we don't have an anniversary, and I'm like, well, when we get engaged and get married, <laughs> problem solved. Like no one's very few people celebrate like oh the day we we like made it official on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, the six month anniversary when you're first starting a date, all the really crazy stuff. You you you've dodged a bullet there. I'm gonna just tell you right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so you're you're a new dad, but you know, in on this podcast, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. We talk about leadership. We talk about being a dad, being a husband, and now you're all of those things. And so it's it's pretty cool. We get to have a lot of conversations. You have a gym, which obviously we talked about. You have you have uh, your your newer business, which which is Lucid Branding Solutions. But more importantly, kind of what I've kind of always known you as is someone who really just did things with excellence. So when I first met you, 
you know, walking you through the new systems um, with level method when I was working back then, it was nothing was done just just to get it done. And that impressed me. Um, so I'd kind of, you know, I want to dig into a lot of things here. But um, I do know that you and I remember this from a long time ago, I know that you started this gym on your own, very young, and you put everything on the line. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm trying to think of where how far I want to go back here. So I I have to say I didn't start the gym on my own. I started the gym with with a partner who with a friend or at the time was a friend. But as you know, uh, and everyone knows, it's been in business long enough. Starting a business because you're friends with somebody and have similar interests is not a good reason to start a business. So that partnership fizzled and, and died out about five years in. And in hindsight, obviously, I wish I would have gone about things differently. But when you're, you're 22, you only know so much about the world. And um, I'm just I'm grateful that I made the, the stupid decision to start a business when I did. <laughs> Is you know I think every time I've started a business I've thought it's a stupid time. <laughs> I started my second business right before my daughter was born, so yeah, um, so, and in the middle of a recession, so yeah, good times. Probably a good time to start a business. Quite frankly, I've done that. Uh, I started my business during COVID shutdowns, which was interesting. And you know, you just said something I've talked about at least ten times on this podcast, and I've interviewed enough men to know that this is actually a really normal pattern. Is you're having a kid, so what are you going to do? You're going to start a new business. This is so common. It's not. I I, I don't know if you've if you've hung you've found this out, but this yeah. is a very common thing. Yeah, I, I think it's true of. I think it's true not just of of people entering fatherhood. I think it's true of people going through any sort of challenging time in their life. And, and I don't want to say that there's this pile on mentality because that carries a negative connotation with it. I think it's it's more along the lines of like, you're broken down so much at certain points in your life that you're, you just exist with more of like a why not type of mentality. So in other words, like if things are going good, and it's not to say that like entering parenthood equates things not going good. What I'm getting at is if everything in your life is dialed and you feel like you're kind of like in cruise control for a little bit, you're less likely to want to shake things up because you're at a point where you you feel comfortable and it's not complacent. It's, it's comfortable and you understand there's seasonality to that. And I think that when you're about to go through a major transformation, you kind of figure like, why not just throw another thing into the mix? You know what I mean? Like, like life's variable right now anyway why not uh, go all in on another project? Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard that approach. And I think that definitely plays a role because it's usually, you said it's usually a, like a transitional time or there's a lot going on and it's never like this calm. And uh, there just is a very strong pattern with guys who have kids coming or just had a kid. And so I attribute it to what you just said. Plus the fact that I think there's this internal thing like, Oh, we need to provide even more. Now we got another body to feed. It, it, it almost doesn't even matter how you're doing. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of put my thumb and create a hypothesis around why this occurs so much. Were you yeah. planning on it? Did you have thoughts of this, though, before you even had? Oh, like- yeah. The thoughts of this. This one has been brewing for a while. And um, I was kind of already mentoring uh, some businesses on the side anyway, um, just mm. kind of giving free advice. And then what happened was that number grew to enough to where it was starting to take uh, amount of my time that I was starting to recognize is like, okay, like you either need to stop doing this or you need to start charging for it. And if you're going to charge for it, you have to systemize it and decide 
what, what, where your passion lies in this and what are the things you actually want to do and then be able to delegate and offset some of the things you don't want to do. And that in essence is a business. So I was like, yeah. you need to start a business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you start this thing, you're doing the gym. Let's talk about, you know, there's a lot of, well, full circle. So there's, it's really interesting because I'm doing a speech, uh, a presentation at a new entrepreneurs or a wannabe entrepreneurs like boot camp next month. And it's to help people who like want to start a side gig and make it their main gig or just want to go all in. And I've, I've titled my, you know, it's nothing new, but I've titled my speech, uh, ready, fire, aim. And so, because for me, and I'd be curious where you're at for me, when I get an idea about a business and I see opportunity, I just start doing their strategy continually happening in my head, but I don't wait till it's perfect. So for example, I've, I've made a new offer on my current business and instead of like playing with it, I just went all in and it's the only offer I, I, I made to all my new incoming leads and I sold, 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 sold. And now I've got all these people in and now it's time to adjust because I can't figure, I don't know all the intricacies and things that are going to happen until actual implementation is made. And so mm-hmm. how have you been, I mean, you talk, you've been doing kind of doing, are you more systematic or I mean, it sounds like you kind of ready, fire, aimed when you did your gym. Yeah. Uh, wow. This is going to involve some storytelling. You know, I always joke that if I were to start a second podcast, I would, I would call it Find Your Parachute because I, I really think that that's the mentality that I've gone through my life with. And don't get me wrong, I've fallen on my head a lot of times because of it, but it, it has paid off in others in other ways. But I, I'll kind of rewind the tape a little bit because I think my origin story will, will capture this perfectly as I possibly can. So I grew up in a middle-class family in um, middle-class town in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, had two parents at home. Uh, my mom was a visiting nurse um, and she was incredibly passionate about her job. Um, she went over and beyond. I got to meet so many of her patients and she would take me to their houses outside of her work time. And she would be like, oh, this is so-and-so. This is what they did for a living. And like, tell me all the wonderful things about them. These people would be so interested in meeting me. And I just, my mom was incredibly empathetic and compassionate and like was able to communicate with basically everyone. And I, I attribute my ability in terms of my communication skills, uh, very much so uh, being grounded in some of those experiences early on. Um, and as you can imagine, these drives to and from these places, me and my mom would have all sorts of conversations about people in different walks of life. And I got to see people that lived inside of, uh, you know, apartments or buildings in inner cities, all the way to like people that own like peach farms out in the country. So it was like, you know, quite a lot, a lot of variety there. Um, but what had happened was as uh, I got a little bit older, the, there were some management shifts at the, the hospital or the organization my mom worked for. And then in addition to that, she developed MS and mm. I watched this place run her into the ground. So, you know, on this side of things, uh, on, the, on the maternal side, I watched my mom be passionate about something and then watched the organization that oversaw her basically make her resent it so much that she left, right. Or like she, she was forced to leave basically. And and I don't yeah. know how much the overworking uh, of her and them taking advantage of her played a, its role in the MS, but I would say that it didn't help. Right. No, not so that at was, all. I'm sure. Right. So that was on yeah. my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, my dad was a musician before they had me. And from as young as I can remember, you know, my dad always had a job as a, as a copier technician and eventually a manager at this, this, a copier place. And 
I, he would come home from work and he would eat dinner in the house, typically complain about his job. And then he would go out in his garage. And as like a, you know, an eight through, or like, let's say a five through like a, a 13 year old boy, like, what do you do? You want to go hang with your dad. So you go out there with him. And my dad could pick up pretty much any instrument that he wanted. And most of them were in his garage and would just play songs. And it was so funny. I always, I always tell the story, like my dad would like grab his guitar and he would like play a riff. He'd be like, you know who that is? And I'm like, no dad, like I'm eight. <laughs> He's like, that's Frank Zappa. <laughs> and I'm like, I would have no way of knowing that. So I always just uh, got to see my dad in his true element, you know, playing inside the, all these instruments inside of his garage and being really good at them. And then he was amazing at drawing. He was good at engineering. Um, he could take an engine apart and put it back together. He, he was just so good at so many things. But then I also watched him leave and go to work and come home and hate it. Right. And then have developed all these coping mechanisms, poor coping mechanisms for the fact that I felt as though he was living a life that wasn't true to what he was actually passionate about. Mm. So here we go on my mom's side, someone who's passionate and I watch her get just completely screwed corporately. And then I look on my dad's side and I see him inside of a job doing something that he doesn't actually enjoy. Meanwhile, harboring all of these amazing talents. And I made a promise to myself from the time I was very little that at all costs, I was going to do what I loved because I either was going to go work for somebody for security purposes and potentially get screwed over anyway, or spend my entire life keeping my passions locked away in a closet. So for me, it was like a no brainer when I, by the time I got to college, I didn't know what exactly I was going to do, but I knew I was going to do something on my own or go the direction I wanted to go. And that's a long-winded way of saying, like, that's basically what put me in a position when I was in college. Um, I had gone through three and a half years. And long story short, I had transferred from IUP to Westchester. And some of the credits that uh, were supposed to transfer over in terms of some of these prerequisite courses, and they were large, big prerequisite courses, anatomy and phys and lab and all sorts of things, Westchester wouldn't accept it. And then because you're a transfer, you get put onto the bottom of the totem pole in terms of what you're able to take and when. And they kept pushing my graduation date further and further and further. The opportunity came up to start a gym. And I said, F you guys, I'm out. And there were a lot of other reasons. There were a lot of other reasons. Like I felt just a level of incompetency from some of the professors, a lack of interest from others, um, disorganization inside of the program, like a lack of, of uh, you know, current science. There was a lot going on at the time. And then plus like CrossFit's up and coming. So yeah, basically the longest story was I started an in-home business and was seeing a bunch of clients at the time. And one of them, I convinced one of them to give me a $25,000 check and I started a gym two months later. Wow. So yeah, I dropped out of school my senior year and, uh, and won it, man. I think this is a really good lesson. I know it's a really good lesson for some men listening who haven't like, it's incredible to me how many men actually have a little bit of that itch to do their own thing, to follow their passion and not necessarily follow their passion, but um, make something happen on their own. And they don't because they are, they feel like they might financially let down their family. But what I'm hearing from you is like, and what I've kind of always believed is that that puts you, it almost traps you. You're trapped unless you love the work you're doing, unless you absolutely love the work you're doing and you feel okay working for other people, you can kind of feel trapped. And it sounds like you watch that happen with your parents and like, no way, man, no yeah, way. I mean, you can look at it from, you know, the direction of, 
from the, being a kid to getting older and, and, and what you aspire to be, but you can also look at it from the direction of who you'll be when you're 85 or 90 and, and who you don't want to become. Right. And, and I think, I think a lot about, you know, you hear all the time, like no regrets. And I think that that's kind of a, it's a fallacy because at the end of, at the end of your life, like you're, you're going to have regrets. You just get to choose the ones that you have. And for me, the ones that I refuse to have is the regret of not doing something that I was passionate about or not trying something. Right. And, and you always mm-hmm. hear like people rarely ever regret trying something and failing. It's always, it's the lack thereof, right? It's the, it's the lack of the pursuit, the inability to take action. Those are the things we regret the most. And I think that was the deal breaker for me, or I should say that that was the deal I made with myself was that when I'm old, I will never look back and say, I, I didn't try to do the thing that I was passionate about. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I think that's uh, the reward is worth the risk. And and that's really hard for men. And you're obviously willing to take risks. So you and I have spent time on the phone talking about productivity, going through, you know, talking about how to maximize productivity. So I want to pivot a little bit into that because you are, you've done, you've done the thing that you set out to do. And I think it speaks volumes that you were willing to just step away. You saw, you saw the system the program in front of you and you're like no this is not going to get me where i want to go and there's a lot of things going wrong so you you obviously have are very intentional in the way that you move how do you now with a child and a new newer wife you've been married what two years now is that right uh yes yeah, august of 21 so yeah we're, we're going on to yeah so uh, i newly married and new dad and new business and previous business talk to us about balance which balance is a fallacy, but, but talk to us about how you keep things in line. God, is this always, this is like one of those where like from the outside looking in, people are like, Oh, this guy's got some systems in place. And from the inside, you're like, this is a chaotic mess. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go a little bit different of a direction. I think one of the most important things that you can do is to talk with a therapist, a coach, mentor, whoever you need to talk to, to create consistency with your emotional regulation. Like, I think, mm. I think that if you start there, impulsivity is generally going to be driven by emotion and poor decision-making is going to be driven by emotion. So I think if you can get those things in check and learn more about yourself, you're going to be better suited to make the decisions necessary to keep the good things in your life and remove the bad. There's obviously some things that don't necessarily fall into good and bad camps. There's, uh, there's seasons to them. Uh, you know, how much you train, how hard you work at your business, the amount that you're traveling, the amount you're spending with friends. Like there's, there's obviously a lot of different ways to kind of move things onto different burners at different intensities at different points in your life. But I think that systems get much easier when there's less crap. So like, you know, there was a, I was going to organize my stuff at one point uh, in my office and in my bedroom. And uh, there was, there was a quote that I found and it was like, the best way to organize uh, your stuff is to throw most of it away. And I think the same is true of systemizing our lives. Like I think it gets a lot more simplistic when you just eradicate all of the things that like you don't really care about and aren't going to move the needle of the the way that you track success for you at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's the larger battle to be had. And I think getting control of your emotions allows you to be more definitive in your decision-making around those things. And then that way, when it comes time to to, to have a conversation about balance, it's, you're not balancing 16 things, right? You're balancing like two to four. And that makes life a heck of a lot easier. 
Yeah. You know, I think you, you, you talked about kind of, you kind of alluded to, to therapy. You also, um, I also kind of want to bring in, I want to, I'm curious actually, how has coaching, cause you're as a coach in a gym, you, you coach hundreds of people. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is that you're not just coaching fitness. In fact, usually you're coaching a lot of other things to help them get to the place where they can achieve fitness. So how has that helped you in business change your, like the way that you see the world um, and operate or has it? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, it just gives you a lot of empathy into how many different types of people exist and, and how many different experiences people have and how that affects their lives. And um, so, yeah, empathy is a big one. I think also just appreciating that element of progressive overload in everything that we do. Um, you know, mm-hmm. another way of looking at that is like operating in like a zone of proximal development. It's like doing something that's challenging, but just outside of your reach. I think that's a really good way to reduce the likelihood of envy and jealousy. You know, so for instance, like if you make $100,000 a year, it's like, it's okay that your hero in the business world or whoever you're, you know, looking to eventually become makes $10 million a month. But it's like, you shouldn't be taking advice from that person because they're not giving the advice for someone that's in your position. You should be taking the advice from somebody that is making $150,000 a year right. and has made just recently made moves in order to, to see those adjustments come to fruition. And I think that's the thing that coaching has given to me is that it is the ability to put the next best thing in front of somebody and then sell it to them. And I, when I say sell it to them, like, and this is why I hate like the connotation or the, the taboo that comes with sales. Like I think sales is just like a reframing tool. And all you're doing is you're just, you're, you're storytelling in a way that makes the pursuit of the the thing that somebody wants that much more attractive. And that's basically what you're doing in coaching is you're finding what is the next best thing for this person, right advice at the right time. And you're finding a way to deliver it to them that makes it appealing and it makes them want to stick to it. And as, as you were saying, like, that's the element of coaching. Those are the soft skills that are not the X's and O's. Like, I can right. give you the best program on the planet, but if you don't follow it, it doesn't mean anything. So you brought up reframing tools. Tell me, tell me more about what you're referring to there. I think ultimately there can be two people in the same exact situation that perceive it entirely differently. Right. And you see these stories all of the time. And like, ultimately all that is, is reframing. And like, I think that I, I know it sounds easier said than done. Right. Like, and every time I hear one of these, I think about that similarly, but I think it through repetition, right. Knowing the right reframing tools in the right scenarios allows you to see things through a different lens and gain different perspective on the the, the problem that you're going through. So like mm-hmm. one that I use just so frequently, I can't almost probably daily, to be honest with you. Um, I would say most of my anxiety kicks in at night. And that is a time where I have to use reframing tools in order to help myself go to bed. Uh, a kid that is sleeping in the other room and you know, you're constantly wanting to check if they're breathing doesn't help with that. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite reframing tools that I'll ask myself is like, if your 10 year old self came back to you right now and was crying and upset, how would you give them advice? Right? Like think about the, the quality of the advice that you could provide to that individual. And, and if, even if you felt like you couldn't give them advice in the, that very moment, you would, you would at the very least give them a hug. You would be, you would be compassionate towards them. And then I flip it and I say, well, what would your 85 year old self say to you right now? 
right? Mm-hmm. And I, that for me is so tremendously helpful because 85-year-old self is always going to have your best interest at heart, right? And this is the thing is like anytime you take advice from another human being, there's always this twinge of like, okay, but they're not in my shoes, right? And if you can visualize your 85-year-old self, you know that they have lived your life, right? And you know that they're going to reflect back on that life and want the best for you at each stage throughout your life, right? And that person is going to be the best guide that you can possibly ever find. And I realize that this is a, you're gamifying this to some degree or another, because you can't truly predict, you know, how you're going to be at 85, but you probably have a pretty good sense. And better yet, you have a good sense of, what would you want of yourself? You know, I'm 34. Like, what would my 85-year-old self tell my 34-year-old self in this very moment when I'm faced with certain challenges? So whenever I'm stressed or anxious about something, I, I try to use that as a reframing. That's really good. And that that's really good in isolated situations that, you know, you're not relying on other people. It's real interesting that this came up because I didn't know that was the way you were going to answer. And it, obviously, I didn't because I asked. But uh, the other day, I I was I have a group like a, a entrepreneurial group I'm in. I'm I, we have a thing called Big Hairy Ass Problems, and we we list our problems in there, and then we talk through them. I'm like, hey, like, look, I have these clients I don't want. They're they're abusing, you know, the team. They're they're disrespectful. They don't fall in line with my avatar, and I know the answer. Like, I I, I know how to deal with this. But when you are in an emotional moment and you're talking about separating yourself from that emotion, like your thinking just goes out the door. So I said it and they're like, well, you, you know, the answer, Scott, like if they're not your avatar, you probably just ought to let them go and you'll fill in the gap. I'm not, you know, and I was like, you're right. That's crazy. And just last night, somebody's like, Hey, I have this client that keeps abusing me. I keep having to redo the work and it's been a year and it's ridiculous. Now the work is just basically getting free for another year. And I'm like, cut them loose. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just gave the, the, the answer I was looking for the other day. So sometimes our best way of actually helping ourselves is by helping others because we typically rationally know if we have experience, know the right answer and, uh, or at least have access to some of it if we've been in the game for a while. So I really like those reframing tools you talk about, you know, what would your 85 year old self say to you? I remember you talking about this with you before. Maybe it was on podcasts I was on with you, but it was, uh, it's very profound. Probably takes practice. Oh, it does. It does. But oddly enough, and this, this may sound like very metaphysical and like, I'm not a a religious person at all, but like, I, I almost can like feel my 85 year old self giving me a hug when I think this way. It's Mm. very weird. Like I'll be laying in bed and it's just this, like, it's one of the few times, (laughs) maybe this is a little bit too much insight into like my own self-sabotage and and uh self talk but like it's one of the few times where like i'm like being incredibly like loving of myself like compassionate mm. towards myself and it's and i i use it for that very reason you know and this is one of the you know i believe everything in life has trade offs and i think for myself like being such like a a go getter and someone that's willing to take like i i have lots of you know risk tolerance that's all great but like i'm so incredibly hard on myself and in every facet, right? And irrationally so. You know, the the saying like we suffer more in imagination and then in reality. Well, it's like, well, that imagination is usually just petering me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So using this reframing is just like it's a break in the clouds for me, uh, if you will. I use it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It 
it doesn't sound crazy, you know, kind of feel like that warm, like feeling the biophysical power of our body and mind is insane. The power of our mind is insane. You know, I just was talking yesterday about the reticular act activating system. Like when you, I was using an example of uh, black and white Nike dunks. I'm like, your friend says to you, Hey, I haven't, you know, have you seen all these people wearing these dunks? You're like, what are you talking about? I don't see, I haven't seen anybody wearing dunks. Well, then you go out and all you see now is everyone wearing black and white dunks. That's because you've now put it in that reticular activating system. It's the same with vehicles. Like someone's like, God, Teslas are out of control. You're like, what are you talking about? And then the next time you drive, it's like, oh my God, we are surrounded by Teslas. This is like a Tesla overtake because your brain is paying attention to that. So if your brain is paying attention to what would my 85-year-old self, and you feel that love coming in, that's actually probably going to give you a physical response. It's going to give you a neuro response, but it's going to give you a physical response. So it makes a lot of sense. To For me. sure. Well, and, and here's, I think, ultimately what it boils down to is like, we all know that like, as people get older, they generally become more conservative. And we're not going to go down like any sort of like political rabbit hole here, but it's, you can understand and see why this is the case, right? Like people see the world through a different lens as they get older. And I think that being 85 and looking back on your life ties you very greatly to your values, to your core values. Because the thing that's going to make you shameful to that 85-year-old self or the thing that's going to disappoint that person is if you veer from those core values. So I think good. it is a really good way of like just bringing you back home. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So if you have any sort of like important decision-making in your life, if you're facing any major obstacles, it's it's not just the empathy. It's like a matter of like stick to the core values and everything's going to be right. And, and then yeah. the recognition that you're doing that is like the life may be hard, but if you're following those core values, you're like, okay, I'm in alignment with myself and that's authenticity. And that's really what you're going for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about alignment, owning business, being a father. You, you actually wrote in your notes, something about happiness. And I, I really liked what I read. So I actually want to go there next. You know, a lot of people are chasing happiness. So what are, what are your thoughts in that area? I think happiness is a byproduct of all the other things that we do in our lives to bring meaning. And I, I think, and I only know this, it's funny, like, because I spent so many years reading books on happiness and like wanting to be happier. And like the thing about wanting to be happier is it's like a perpetual <laughs> reminder. Like if you believe that you have suboptimal happiness, like it's very nagging, right? Because you're like, mm -hmm. I don't understand how other people are happier than me. And I don't understand why I can't be happy with the things that I have, you know? And I, and I think it's not that everything I read or everything I learned was trash, right? I would just say that the route in which to get to the point where um, I am today and eventually want to be came by the way, ultimately of me being more action oriented than I don't want to say learning. Cause I love, I love learning, but like, but in being so fixated on this, like, chasing happiness, right? As its own entity. I think it came by the way of me trying to f do more things in my life that I found meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a byproduct. It's absolutely a byproduct of doing things that, like you said, are more meaningful. I think that's really good. So I want to now shift to subjects that you may not be prepared to answer. And Let's do it. That, that's okay, because I, I want to kind of pick your brain on where you're at. We, you and I are in a very different position. So as you are welcoming your first daughter into the world and um, are newly married, married, I'm entering my 27th year of marriage and I am driving my 18-year-old. I'm welcoming him into the world 
outside of my home. I'm driving him to Montana with him to Montana next week so that he can go live there and work there and, you know, start to like, it's an adventure thing for him. And I'm super pumped, totally different things. But yesterday when I was chatting with a really good friend of mine, I was, I realized that I still have a little bit of pain or guilt and this, this is very fleeting for me now because I've really worked through it of the amount of work I did when my firstborn Bryson, who's now 18 was born through to when he was five, I was working full-time a career and had a business and that was my life. I want to, I'm curious because I don't want you when your daughter is 18 and you're driving her to college or whatever she's going to do. I don't want you thinking back. I wish I would have. What have you done or what are you doing? Or now that I'm asking you, what are you going to do to make sure that you are attentive in the home, but can still maintain and achieve greatness in both of your businesses? Well, that's a million dollar question. One, I'm going to maintain mentorship because I think that I choose mentors that have my best interest at heart and are also very family oriented people. So Mm -hmm. while they are driven and have their business and entrepreneurial pursuits, I don't choose people that do that at the expense of their family and their friends. I'm a very social creature and I can't ever imagine a time where I will not want to be that way. One thing that I'm very adamant about is roping my daughter and however many other kids that I eventually have into my world. So one of the beauties of running a gym, and in this case, basically overseeing everything and and my position inside of that facility now is more geared around developing uh, my coaches by giving them the right resources than it is necessarily about spending time on the floor. So Mm -hmm. that will, that, that allows me to have a greater amount of time to kind of bring her in there, right? I'm just thinking about Eliana at the moment to bring her into the gym and kind of show her the inner workings of that, but also to kind of light the entrepreneurial spirit in her. You know, I think it's very traditional for people to think about like putting money away in a 529 for their kid for the purpose of going to college. It's like, I kind of want to stash money away in case my daughter wants to start a business, you know? And like, I've, I've thought I very heavily. Yeah, yeah. I thought very heavily about that. And like, look, if she doesn't want to start a business, she wants to, to buy a house with it. So be it. But in the case, like, I just think about like what I wish had been done for me was I wish I would have a mentor and guidance when I was, you know, 18 through 22 going into school for somebody to go, Hey, by the way, there's alternative routes here. And there's some cash available to you, but you need to make sure you go through these resources. You have these mentors, you do these things and check these boxes before those opportunities become realistic for you. And if you don't want that, that's fine, but I just want you to know it exists. So I'll tell you a quick story. My, um, my wife's uncle is very wealthy, has done a lot of amazing things, um, doing uh, commercial real estate work. And, um, we went on a vacation with them sometime over the winter and I asked him, like, you know, it was a, more or less like a legacy question. And and he said to me, you know, he was like, what I want more than anything and what I have thought about for many years is the ability to sit at this table. We were sitting at a big kitchen table at the time with any of my children, grandchildren, cousins, or anyone in my family and help them start any business they want and give them all the resources and things necessary to help them accomplish it. And that was like a big, it was like a, I don't want to say it was an epiphany moment for me, but it was definitely one of those moments where you go, ah, that's really freaking cool. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So yeah. So one thing is roping in my, my daughter into these sort of things. And the other thing is checking in with myself in terms of my focuses every 90 days. Like 
it's okay to have a 90 day sprint and to let everyone know that I'm having a 90 day sprint. So it's like, I'm not operating as a separate entity independent of the family unit. It's like, I'm letting my wife know, I'm letting my daughter know, Hey, dad's going to be really slammed over the next 90 days. I have X, Y, and Z going on, letting them know some of the frustrations and stresses along the way that are affecting me. It doesn't mean that I get to neglect them for 90 days, but it does mean that I'm basically asking them to please allow me to have that time in understanding of the fact that it's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term benefit. And then in turn, having 90-day sprints that are much more family-focused, more vacations, more time at home, more time at sports, those sort of things. So I think having those 90-day windows is a really good way of this constant reevaluation process of, are my intentions lining up with my actions? Yeah, and that's really cool that you brought that up. I'll, I just got through what I would call a season of grind, and it was it's about 90 days. And I told my family, like, look, I'm building this new thing. I have this new offer. It's very promising. Money's coming in. This is going to allow us a little more freedom, but I'm going to be pretty focused. But the beauty of it is at my age now, doing this over and over again, like when I walk out of that office, I have tools where I just shut it off mostly. But there's always something like, floating up there. There's always things popping through, right? And so you also mentioned communication. Huge. I tell my family, like I am in a really busy season right now. I am sorry if I'm if I'm short or if there's less time I'm available. There is an end date. And speaking through that with them, I think is a is a massive key because that is the reality of owning businesses. You're going to have to go through those 90 day grind sessions where you are putting things together and you're refining and you know, forging it in the fire, if you will. So I think that's, it's really wise. The interesting thing you bring up is like in having your daughter engaged in your business. Cause I did that, but I did it in my bike shop, but it was like, here's a TV, here's a VCR back when VCRs were a thing, watch this. And I just, and, and then when I owned a gym years later, I had a different mindset and they were my boys were much more involved, like you're talking about. Like I was more there to just kind of work with the people working in the gym. At that point, they fell in love with owning a business and they watched that. So it's really important. You can't just pop your kid in your office and think they're going to fall in love with what you do. The beauty of it is you're giving them a gift because they might not be born for that and they might see what they don't want to do as well. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I I try to boil down to first principles. And and ultimately, if I could accomplish one thing and nothing else, it would be the desire to move towards problem solving, like to be more comfortable in problem solving situations, Mm -hmm. right? And in, in a business, it's like, okay, let's take the math that you're learning and apply it to how we would run a business, right? Understanding a P&L, understanding some of the systems on the financial side of things. It's how do we take the English and the writing and the reading and things, and how do we communicate better with everyone within our business, both our employees, but also our clients in a way that gets the message across, right? It is, is appealing to them, like makes them want to stick around longer. So it's like taking these lessons, they're already learning anyway, but just applying it in terms of a problem solving manner inside of the business. Yeah, and you have to do that. I mean, because it's not being done anywhere else. And we could save them so much friction later if they decide to do it. It's, yeah, I, I really like that. I really like that. I have one last question I want to ask you. And I don't think it's going to be, it might not be a very quick uh, answer. So, as a new father, dual business owner, leader in your companies, what is the biggest learning opportunity in your life right now? What is the thing that you're really having to pour 
the most resources or need to post for the most resources in personally. Ironically, it's probably communication. I grew up in a household with fairly poor communication and I love my parents to death. And I think that generationally, this was something that was more common within the boomers generation, which was mom and dad don't discuss certain things in front of kids. Mom and dad haven't gone to therapy because that's taboo, or at least one of them hasn't. So therefore there's some, there's some emotional tug of wars going on. I've had to go through a number of failed relationships myself having, you know, come by the way in large part in terms of the failure because of my lack of communication and inability to communicate um, without emotion and effectively. So that is something that I, I have to work on really, really, really hard. And there are times when it comes easy, you know, and I think people, it would, it would be a shock to some that are at my, my gym because like I communicate very well with, with the clients. Like if I have a client, we're talking like, it's back and forth, you know, and it's like, I feel like I can give the right advice and listen and like being a podcaster, you know, and someone that interviews people helps me with that skill as well. But it's in communication with the people where there's more complexity in my life, right? My general manager, right? My business admin on on the lucid side, uh, my wife, right? It's like, that's where things start to become more complex and difficult. So I think I'm always trying to sharpen that saw and just continually remind myself of the importance of learning how to be a communicator without being so terribly harsh on myself in the process. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's, that's a continual learning for me because I think that that's ultimately what moves me up the scale in terms of my quality of leadership is yeah. like my ability to communicate. hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. So any advice that you've learned just in the very short time that you would want a new father to have that you're like, Oh, I wish I would have known. <laughs> I think it comes more naturally to, to you than people give it credit for. Like, I love I, that answer. <laughs> Keep I, going. Because like, I think like everyone that you talk to is always a warning, right? It's so I, let me rephrase that. It's always like, you're going to love it and you're going to hate it. Right. And like, generally when we think of things like we're going to hate, like we think of things that are like just entirely outside of our control or like we think of like just feeling anxious and, and having this constant anxiety for things. And look, I have deep empathy for people that do suffer from some of those things when they do have children, because I know it exists. But for myself and and for, I would say, the majority of dads out there, when you first have a kid, there's just like a different part of your brain and heart that get activated and you show up, you know? And it's some of the things I was concerned about uh, that I thought I was going to have more anxiety over are, are way more natural than I would have anticipated, or I would say people led me to to think was going to happen. Yeah, that's so. That's such good advice. You know, uh, I had a gentleman on here who wrote a book on, and it was basically a manual. And it was like, hey, this is what this appointment's going to look like. This is what the hospital's going to look like. Here's how you support your wife in this. And I was, and I was reading. I was like, is really good. Is actually, I'm like, how do you write a, a manual? You can't really. But it was really, it was broad, but also like more of just developing expectations. But I started to think about it. I'm like, most men just are going to intuitively do a really good job. I think where we might fail is in supporting our wife. (laughs) We do a really good job with the kid. And then we're kind of like, yeah, over here, she's fine, whatever. 
So yeah, no, it's it's very true, and I, I will say that is actually some of the best advice that was given to me was make sure your wife is in a good place and everything will be okay. Yeah, you know, and that advice was given also in the context of the businesses, right? It was like you'll have because if I had a concern, that was a major one. Like, am I going to have enough time to continue to build businesses and like be able to step up as a leader? given all these new responsibilities. And like, that was the advice was like, take care of your wife and you'll be good. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Derek, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a long time coming. We've, we've known and, uh, and I appreciate it. And it's been awesome getting some insight on business and parenting and organization and leadership. It's, it's been really cool. I appreciate you brother. Yes, it's a blast. And honestly, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a month into fatherhood this, uh, this upcoming weekend. So this was uh, timed very well for this podcast. We'll have to get you one of the new Brotherhood of Fatherhood hats coming out. They are dope. Ooh, I cannot wait to get it. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you for listening. Like, seriously, check out uh, the show notes. I say this every time, but I, I truly mean it. Someone comes in here. They give of their time to talk to you about what their experiences are. Do them, a, do them a solid and check them out. Go look at their socials. Go look at their websites. They probably have something that you want or need. And the thing is, is I don't bring just anybody on the show. I'm actually fairly picky. So they are personally vetted uh, by me. So if you trust me, you trust, you, you need to trust my guests. So I would say like, if Derek's got something that you're like, Hmm, then I would say, click the link and do the thing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's how you support us is, is that's how you support business owners. That's how you support your own community. That's how you, you support our economy. And that's how you support the brotherhood. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from The Brotherhood of Fatherhood.